Bibles today uh, to a couple passages, um, Matthew chapter 12, and so if you'd like to turn there, I, I need to make a few announcements. Um, first one is, is that if you uh, brought a picture for um, your uh, compassion child, there in the back, Jan said, she's in the nursery, so they're supposed to be in the back. Secondly, uh, we do have missionaries who are ha uh, helping uh, with the catastrophe in Myanmar. And uh, one of the things that has, has happened is that entire villages have been wiped out and people have fled into the, into the jungle. And so our missionaries are going into the jungle with food, blankets, and things like that to help these people and are sharing the gospel with them. If you would like to participate with them in that by financially giving, uh, this week and next week, I think is the next is are the last two, and then we're going to send that money off. So all you have to do is 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 send that money to Sue, give that money to Sue. Um, finally, um, <clears throat> I usually don't make a big deal about this at all because it's not a big deal, but I think it's time we have a talk, and uh, and that is the fact that yesterday I turned 65, and um, I'm not announcing. <laughs> That was no big deal. I just hung out for 65 years, and here I find myself. Um, that being said, though, um, that's retirement age. And, um, and so uh, I just want you to know that um, I don't see what I do as a job. I see it as a calling. And I don't feel any desire whatsoever to retire. Um, and as long as God gives me grace and gives me health, um, I would love to continue uh, doing what I'm doing here. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, some people have asked me, what are you thinking? And, and that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking that as long as God gives me grace and health, I would like to continue to do what I do here. Um, that being said, um, I want to make something absolutely crystal clear. And that is this, I have friends and colleagues and people that I know that have preached very clearly and well and under edification into their 70s and even, well, John MacArthur in early 80s. Um, but I've had others that have mentally slowed down to such an extent that they, they shouldn't be in the pulpit, okay? And uh, so that being said, I beg of you to not keep me in the pulpit one minute too long, okay? And, and I'm, I'm serious about this. If, if my mental abilities or my articulation abilities or my thinking processes uh, begin to show signs of aging, I would be horrified to know that I was still sitting, uh, standing here doing this because, I, because the key here is to never bring dishonor to Christ. That's the key. This is all about Jesus. I must decrease, he must increase has been my theme for my entire ministry. I don't care what you know, people think about me. I just want them to, to know Jesus and to think highly of him. So that being said, I beg this congregation, and I've already had this conversation with the elders, please do not keep me here out of any sense of sentimentality, any sense of loyalty, any sense of, of any of that, because I know that many of you, in fact, most of the people who are in this room right now were not in this room when I first took this, this pastorate. And that being said, uh, many of you only know me as, as your pastor in some ways here in this place. 
and that's good. And as long as my skills and abilities stay sharp, that's good. But as soon as they begin to dull, please, please, please get me out of this pulpit. And, uh, and I, I beg of you, for the sake of Christ, get somebody else in here that will be unto edification for you. First thing. Second thing is this. In light of this uh, momentous moment of being 65, um, and that is I have actually thought about retiring every once in a while because I'll say to Jan, Jan, I feel like I'm disappointing people. I feel like I'm letting people down. And the reason I feel that way is because I don't have the energy that I used to have. I don't have the stamina that I used to have. I can't make all of those visits and all of those phone calls and all of that counseling and all of that that I used to do. And the only reason why I feel encouraged that I can continue on here is because of the other elders, okay? We have seven elders here, and they do a ton of ministry. There are Bible studies that go on in this place. There is discipleship. There is counseling. There is all kinds of stuff that takes place that I don't do. Um, and so a lot of good ministry is going on here. If they weren't here, I would retire today. I really would, simply because I feel like you would need a younger person to do what I used to do before these elders uh, came up. So that being said, I just, want to, I just want to be realistic here. I don't have the stamina and energy that I used to have. Therefore, instead of doing more visiting, I do more phone calling. Instead of visiting in your home, I ask you to meet me in my office here. Um, those kinds of things that are going on. And so, and again, if that gets to the point that this congregation is not being well pastored and shepherded, um, it's time for me to go, okay? And so I, I, I want to say that my love for Christ is growing richer and not less. Um, I feel that I actually have more to offer now than I did 17 years ago when I first came here because I'm a more mature uh, man of God than I was even then. And so uh, the outward man is decaying, but the inward man is being renewed day by day. And so I feel like I have a lot to contribute. I, I already have five, ten series of sermons that I would love to preach here at some point. Um, so I'm moving forward and I'm moving ahead. And I thank you for your grace and for your help. But, um, but we need to recognize that if that ever ends, if that ever changes, uh, Please do not, do not let sentimentality or uh, loyalty uh, uh, bring dishonor to Christ in this place. That, that, that is my great desire. And so hopefully, Lord willing, I'll be here for a long time. Um, but um, if I start uh, repeating myself and <laughs> stuff like that, that's saying crazy things from the pulpit. Now, I know I do that already, but uh, more it gets intense. Just, just give me a cake and, and, and send me... <laughs> Send me, uh, tell me to sit back there and listen, okay? And I will do that. I will do that. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your son. We thank you for this great gospel that we can look at and now and reflect on. And Father, we pray that you'll help us. We pray that you'll help us to see in your word uh, this stunning and amazing things that Jesus is going to reveal to us in this passage. And we pray that you will help those stunning and amazing things not to just stay um, in our church service, but that we'll take them home with our hearts burning and, and desirous to, to live for you and to see your kingdom come. And Father, we just ask that you will help us. You called us to this generation, this crazy generation, this confusing generation, this very, very lost generation. 
and darkening times. And Father, we've been called to be light in these darkening times. Help us, we pray. Help us to do that and to be that, to humbly, quietly be the people that you've called us to be. Help us, we pray in Jesus, your precious name. Amen. We're going to be looking in, Revela in, uh, in Matthew 12, but I'd like to begin by just reading to you the first three verses of Revelation 20. Revelation 20. And it says this, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil, and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him. And now here's given the purpose for that, that, uh, that uh, John saw sort of symbolically placed before him. So that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. Keep that vision, keep that picture in your head as we, as we study the text of Scripture that we're going to look at today. And that text is Matthew chapter 12, verses 22 through 30. And we're going to go through this, but let me, let me uh, give an introduction to prepare the way for this. Uh, kids who are here, uh, if, if you've ever seen army movies, we used to watch army movies when we were kids, uh, or army shows, you recognize the fact that the, uh, the, the, the people who are kind of the lowest guys in the army were what was called privates. They're privates. They just salute and they do whatever everybody tells them. The big shots are the generals. And sometimes it can be really discouraging to be a private because nobody really tells you what's going on. They just tell you what to do. March over here. Clean out that latrine. Get those tents up together and keep moving. You know, peel these potatoes. And so the privates just do that little job that they've been told to do. And it can be discouraging. It's rainy. It's cold. You're eating cold food. You're marching. You're, you're doing manual labor. Or you're peeling potatoes and peeling a mountain full of potatoes. And you just you get discouraged because you don't know the big plan. Well, imagine if one of your friends, who's a private, has been reassigned to be one of the servant privates, as it were, in the big tent where the general and all of his commanders are with the big map planning out the battle. And so you're sitting there peeling your potatoes, and it's cold, and you miss your family, and you think, and you feel like the war's not going well, and you don't know if there's anything happening. And a friend of you says, hey, listen, tonight they're having a big war council, and I need to be there because I'm serving people and taking care of them there. And you want to come with me, and you can help me. And what you can do is you can see the map, and you can listen to the plan. And so you go in there, and you look over the general's shoulder, and you see the map, and you listen to the plan, and you realize that there's an intricate plan. There's these armies that are going to move, and that your side is actually doing good, and that you're winning, and that, and that your role and everybody's role is really important. And that's what we're going to kind of do today. We're going to look over the shoulder, as it were, of the general. We're going to see what Jesus is going to tell us is happening and is going to happen that should encourage us. Now, now let's, tie in, let's tie that illustration in with another one. Imagine a king, a king who goes away from the kingdom. Maybe he goes to fight a war. Maybe he goes out, he goes, out, he goes, he goes away from the kingdom for a little bit. And while he's away, somebody comes and, and takes over the kingdom. This is called a usurper. And he says, I'm in charge now. 
I'm in charge of this kingdom. We didn't like that king anyway. And he moves into his castle and he begins to make commandments. He says, I'm in charge now. I'm in charge. That's a usurper. That's a usurper. I, saw that, I heard this very well illustrated by Matt Chandler when he, he, was, he was illustrating. He says, imagine if a guy came home, like somebody like me or somebody like one of the men here. Imagine if you came home and you went walking in your house and there in your house is another man. And he said, you said, what are you doing here? He says, well, uh, I decided to take over. He said, I, I think you're a lousy husband. I think you're a lousy father. Uh, I think you manage this household well. It's my house now. I'm in charge. Now, if that happened to me, how am I supposed to take that? Well, I love what Chandler said. Chandler said, in the nightly news, there'd be police all around. There'd be a helicopter hovering. But mostly, they just have to take away the body because that ain't going to happen in my house, you know? That ain't going to happen in my house. You're not usurping. Well, you see, that's what happened in this world. Satan has come to usurp. He has come to take over and take over a kingdom. And God is saying, that ain't happening. I'm taking it back over. And that's what is, we're going to see unfold in front of us in, in one, really what is hard to, it's hard to find another passage of scripture in one sense that is more significant than the one we're going to look at today. So let's look at it together. Matthew chapter 12, verse 22, it says this, then one was brought to him who was demon possessed, blind and mute demon-possessed, blind and mute, and he healed him so that the blind and mute man both spoke and saw. Now, look at that verse. Now, Jesus has healed other blind people. He has healed other people that had problems, and there was no sense that they were demon-possessed. The Bible doesn't, doesn't say that every disease is demon-possession. Not at all. But in this one here, this man is blind. This man can't speak, which is kind of an unusual sort of combination. He's blind and he can't speak, but somehow or another in the midst of this man's uh, bondage, as it were, the demonic element was, was very, very present. And so people knew that this man was blinded by the demons. Demons had, had, had come in and invaded this poor man's soul and had caused him to be blind and mute. He couldn't speak. And Jesus comes and casts out the demons, orders them out. And notice what it says, he's healed so that this man both spoke and saw. All of a sudden his eyes open and he can see. And he's looking around in wonder and amazement. And they say, say something and he speaks and he's able to speak. And so it was obvious that this wasn't, as it were, a physical malady alone. This was the demons had sort of had this man in bondage and then they're gone and he's free. He's free. Now the people pick up on this immediately. Look at verse 23. And all the multitudes were amazed and said, could this be the son of David? They're asking, now that's, that's, a, phrase, that's a, a, a phrase, a way to describe the Messiah. Could this be the Messiah? Could this be? Now the people and even the apostles and disciples, they're making progress because in, in chapter 8 and verse 27, it said, who can this be? Even the wind and waves obey him. Jesus had confused them. Who can this be? Now they're beginning to piece this together and they said, could this be the son of David? Could this be Messiah himself? Look at how those demons just fled. Look at how this man is looking around and talking. What an amazing deliverance and liberation. But then there's, a sec there's another opinion. Do you, th you think our country's divided? Just think, oh, these guys were divided. First people say, could this, the crowds, the multitude, the common man says, could this be the son of David? 
Look at what the religious elites say, verse 24. Now when the Pharisees heard it, they said, this fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. Beelzebub is the lord of the flies, it actually means. But it's, it, it's, the, it's, the, the, it's a word that's used for Satan. This man is casting out demons because of Satan. Satan. And Jesus is... A, so so they, like, he could be saying Satan has empowered him. But it seems almost more by saying this man is actually invaded by Satan. And that's why he's able to talk. Satan lives in him, and Satan is ordering his demons out and about. Can that, that's very possible. If you flip over to chapter 10, for instance, and look at verse 25, Jesus says this. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his master and a servant like his master. I meant like his teacher and a servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of his household? Here, Jesus has already been called Satan, as it were. And so it's very possible that that's what's... Think. Now, think about this. Verse 24, look at that verse. It's a horrible thing to say. It's a horrible charge. It's a horrible reading of the situation. And in fact, it's absurd, bordering on stupid. And Jesus picks up on this. And so what he now does is he dismantles their reasoning completely. So look at verse 25. But Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, destruction. It's destroyed. And every city or house divided against itself will not stand. He's saying, listen, dear friends, this is not a civil war that is going on here amongst the demonic. If Satan's kingdom is fighting Satan's kingdom, then what's going to happen is they're going to destroy each other. They're going to destroy each other. You should be happy about that, if anything. But that's not what's happening here. Notice what he says in verse 26. If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? Now, notice here, by the way, notice verse 26. Satan has a kingdom. Notice He's talking about the kingdom of Satan. How will the kingdom of Satan stand? How will his kingdom stand? And remember, Satan is a usurper. He has usurped. Listen to what Satan says. You don't have to turn to it. I've turned to it here. Just listen in Matthew chapter 4, what Satan said to Jesus in the wilderness during the temptation. It says this, verse 8, Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. Notice the usurper here. This world is mine. These kingdoms are mine. These nations are mine. These people are mine. This is my kingdom. Now you bow down and worship me, and I will give them over to you. I will grant them over to you, like my favored son. Well, that's not what's going on here. Satan's kingdom is not fighting Satan's own kingdom. He's a usurper. In Ephesians 2, 2, he's called the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. But that's not what's going on here, Jesus said. That's not what's going on here. And then Jesus says this, another line of reasoning. Notice what he says next. He says, um, if, I, he says if Satan casts out demons, if I cast out demons, verse 27, by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they shall be your judges. What's Jesus referring to here? 
He's referring to Jewish exorcists who casted out demons. And we have an example of this in the Bible. In Acts chapter 19, verse 13, it says this. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, We exorcise thee, you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Now, just look at that verse for a second. You have these Jewish exorcists, and they're thinking, Hey, the name of Jesus is powerful. We're going to use the name of Jesus, and we're going to use the name of Paul. And then the next verse says this, Also there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish high priest who did so. So here you have this Jewish high priest named Skeva. He has seven sons, and his seven sons are exorcists. Now, the rest of this story, which we're not going to put up, is actually humorous in one sense, because these guys say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, cast, come out. And the demon says, ha, Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who are you? And then the demon jumps on them, beats them up, and they run out of the house naked and beat up. It's actually kind of a funny story. But notice here, there's these Jewish exorcists, these people casting out demons. In Matthew 7, 22, Jesus says, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And Jesus says about these people, I never knew you. You were casting out demons, but you weren't part of me. I didn't know you. And so that's what Jesus is referring to here in verse 27. If I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by the devil, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they shall be your judges. In fact, it's as if Jesus is saying, go to Sceva, one of your chief priests in Jerusalem, one of your chief priests, go to Sceva and tell him that all seven of his sons are casting out demons because Satan has empowered them to do it. That ain't going to go over big in Jerusalem. That ain't going to go over big. Then Jesus says this in verse 28. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, if the Spirit of God is casting out these demons through me, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Now notice the two kingdoms that are mentioned here. Verse 26, Satan's kingdom. Verse 28, the kingdom of God has come among you. If by the power of the Spirit of God working in me, not Satan, the power of the Spirit of God working in me and my authority as the very Son of Man and Son of God, if I'm casting out demons, then the kingdom of God has come amongst you. If these demons must obey, these kingdom, the, I'm sorry, these demons must obey. These demons do obey. These demons are helpless not to obey. If these demons are doing what you've noticed them doing, saying, we know who you are, the Holy One of God. We know who you are, Jesus. Why have you come before your time? Don't let us go into the pigs. Send us into hell. Uh, don't send us to hell. Send us into the pigs. Please, please, we, we're scared of you. We hate you. If that's what's going on here, then the kingdom of God has arrived. Now, notice, actually, there's a nuance in this Greek word. The kingdom of God has arrived before the time that you expected it. That's what Jesus is, is sort of nuancing here. I'm telling you what's going on here. Satan's kingdom is not battling Satan's kingdom. The kingdom of God has arrived. The kingdom of God has been inaugurated. The kingdom of God is here. In other words, this is a huge, epic moment. This is a massive, huge, epic moment. The Messiah has come. He has come and he has brought the kingdom. An invasion force has arrived. 
The true king has come to overcome the usurper, the transformation of the world, the salvation of the world, the transformation of people, the renewing of the creation, a new heavens and new earth. That whole process has begun. It has begun. And that's why when we studied this passage in eschatology, we saw this passage as the beginning of the end. Again, people ask me, are we in the end times? Yes, we are. And it began in Matthew 12, the coming of the kingdom of God. Now, notice Jesus then describes what's happening. Look at verse 29. Or how can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man and then he will plunder his house? By the way, binds there is the same word that's used in Revelation 20 of the angel that comes and binds Satan. So he can't deceive the nations anymore. This is that same phrase, that same idea. How can a man enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Tie him up. Now, he's going to yell. He's going to spit at you. He's going to try to move. He's going to try to grab you. He's going he's to protest and yell and scream and all that. But once you bind that strong man, you can take all of his stuff. And Jesus says, Satan is not casting out Satan here. Satan's kingdom is not at war with itself. I have bound Satan. And now I am taking his goods. And see, I, I, I love the fact that Jesus is teaching this. And here's a man standing right next to him who's going, he's just using his eyes. He's just so excited to be able to see. He was demon-possessed. And instantly now he's not. And he's, he's, he's speaking. He's using his tongue. He's, he's, he's using his voice box. He's speaking. He's liberated. And the man's standing right next to Jesus. And Jesus is saying, look, I bound Satan and took this, which Satan had bound. Satan had as one of his goods. I took him and I'm plundering. I'm plundering his kingdom. That's what's going on here. I'm taking, 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 taking people out of his kingdom. I'm saving, saving, saving. That is what is going on here. In Luke chapter 11, I, I love the way it kind of is described in Luke chapter 11. It says this, Jesus, same, same passage, but if I cast out demons with the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. And when a strong man fully armed guards his own palace, so here you have a, a, a fully armed guard a guy is guarding his palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he comes upon him and overcomes him, he takes from him all of his armor, which he trusted, and divides his spoil. Satan is not casting out Satan. Somebody stronger than Satan is here. Somebody with more power than Satan is here. Somebody with more majesty than Satan is here. And a greater kingdom than Satan's kingdom has arrived. A more powerful kingdom. A kingdom with authority. That's why I did not bow down to him when he wanted to give me the kingdom by simply bowing down. That's why I've come to bring a more powerful kingdom. I've come to destroy him and not to be a part of him. And that is what is going on here. You see, dear friends, two things are happening in here. Again, it, we're like privates now, looking over the general's uh, shoulder and looking at the map. Two things are happening here. Number one, Satan has been bound. That means that his power has been curtailed. He's still alive. He's still alive. He's still, he's still at work. He still can deceive. He still can tempt. He still can accuse. He's still alive. But his power has been curtailed. That's what the Bible's teaching here. And a greater king and a greater kingdom has come to take back his rightful kingdom. Listen to how this is referred to in other passages of scripture. In John chapter 12, Jesus says this. Right in the middle of the book of John, Jesus says this. Now, this is right at the beginning of the, of the last week of Jesus' life. 
Now is the judgment of this world. Now. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And if I, and I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. This, he said, signifying by what death he would die. Jesus says, now it's happening. With my death, my burial, my resurrection, and my ascension, now the kingdom of Satan, the kingdom, he is being judged. He's being cast out. And now I'm going to draw people to myself. And he can't stop me. The gates of hell will not prevail against my kingdom. In Colossians chapter 2, Paul writes it like this, amazing verse. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Now listen to this next verse. Having disarmed on the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of him triumphing over them. Through the cross, through the preaching of the cross, through the power of the cross, Satan's principalities and powers have been disarmed. And that's what is symbolically being referenced in the book of Revelation. The kingdom has come. Satan is bound. And now the strong man being bound, Christ is going out and plundering his kingdom. And you know what's beautiful? You're part of the plunder that he's taking. He saved us. He's delivered us. You were born. I was born under the power of sin, under the power of Satan, under the king of the prince of the power of this air. And I love in Colossians where it says, God transferred out of the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the son of his love. We have been saved by the power of Christ coming and the power of the kingdom coming. And not only have we been saved, but we've been given authority. So the Bible can say this, for instance, in James 4, 7. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. I, you, we can resist the devil, and he will flee from us. Why? Because a greater kingdom than his kingdom is here. And we are the citizens of that kingdom. 1 Peter 5, Peter says this, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks around like, about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He's still out there. He's still dangerous. He's still bad. He's still, he still has power. But then verse 9, resist him. Stop. No. Go. Resist him. Firm in the faith. Steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brother throughout the world. We are told to resist and he, a powerful spiritual being who was once one of the most powerful archangels in heaven, we now, humble kingdom citizens, followers of Jesus, say, stop, no, go. I, I'm not going with you. We have the power to resist him. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 11 to 13, it says this. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. A greater kingdom is here, and we have armor now. He's, he's been disarmed. We have armor. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. That's a bad group of people. That's a bad group of, of enemies. But look at verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. I'm not moving. Bring all of the demons of hell against me. I'm not moving. In the power of Jesus, I'm standing. I'm standing. 
He's even going to shoot, he's even going to shoot flaming arrows at you. And Ephesians 6, 16 says this, above all, taking the shield of faith that you may be able to quench all of the fiery darts of the of wicked one. If the devil starts sending fiery darts at me by faith, I'm going to quench them all. Why? Because a more powerful kingdom than his is here. Paul was able to encourage the Roman church. Uh, Satan had brought a lot of division in that church, and Paul was helping them to move through that and work through that. And in Romans 16, 20, Paul says this, and the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. Drawing from Genesis 3, he will crush Satan under your feet shortly. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Kids, I hope you're memorizing the books of the Bible. And this will help you and you'll be able to turn right now to Ephesians. I hope you're thinking, kids, in your head right now. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. There it is, Ephesians. See, it's that easy. If an old guy can do it like me, you can do it. Probably faster and quicker, too. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1. And before we read, uh, let me say a few things. I believe that American Christians, and I'm speaking to American Christians here primarily, I believe that American Christians are very discouraged and very anxious right now. It's one of the underlying things. Discouraged, anxious, and maybe even angry. Because we look at a once greatly blessed nation. Our nation. Not perfect. We've sinned. We have ugly sins in our past. Excuse me. Certainly slavery was an ugly sin in our past. We had other ugly sins in our past. That, that, that's, that's true. But, but overall, generally, this was a, this was a good... And, and probably you're growing up in this nation. You experienced it. it, it this was a, we, God had blessed us with safety from outside warfare. It was a relatively healthy place to live. It was moral. There, were, there, were, there was good moral basis. There was a lot of good in this country. And the older you are in this room, the more you tasted of that in the past. But you're beginning to see it degraded. We're degrading this country. This country has become degraded. We've been weakened. We're weak. We've been weakened by sin. Even our luxury, our material wealth has weakened us. Our love of pleasure has made us shallow, weak people. And now the moral rebellion against God that is going on in so many different areas The United Methodist Church, I just found out this week, the United Methodist Church has one of their candidates for the ministry is a drag queen. Like, it it, it can't get any crazier than what it's getting. When a drag queen who goes by the name Penny Cost, a drag queen is about to be ordained in the ministry of the church. Speaking of Penny, thank you very much. If as a nation we're to state where a drag queen will become a pastor, we've fallen very far. And I think as privates in this army, our part of the battle, America, the United States of America, it doesn't look good. We're peeling our little potatoes here and it just doesn't look good. Looks like we're losing the war. But the Bible lets us look over the general shoulder at the big picture 
And when you look over the general's soldier, uh, shoulder and you see the map and you see the big picture, it looks different. <clears throat> Jesus has inaugurated a kingdom. Jesus died for our sins. Jesus rose again from the dead. He defeated death. Jesus then ascended into heaven in his glorified body. His human body was glorified to an eternal, beautiful body. And now he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And he has been inaugurated there as president, as it were, king, as it were, of all of the universe. All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus says. He has been reinstated to the place of power and majesty. And the entire universe in its entire direction has been given over to him. Jesus is in charge of the universe. He's in charge of the countries. He's in charge of the nation. He is the man. Look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, it says this, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far, far above all principality and power. Now, this is where you see demons, you see Satan, far above all principality, all power, all might, all dominion, nations, presidents, armies, every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he has put all things under his feet. Right now, all things are under Jesus' feet. He is Lord over it. And gave him to be head over all things to the church. Better translation, for the church, with a direction toward Jesus is running the entire, entire world and that and universe for his church, for his kingdom which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. You see, dear friends, something is going on. Something is going on, and if you don't have the eyes to see it, you're going to draw the wrong conclusions. You see, some people are looking in the wrong places. They're drawing the wrong conclusions. They're doing exactly what the Pharisees did, and I think sometimes Christians are doing this. The Pharisees looked, and they were looking wrong. They were looking at this all wrong and said, Satan is casting out Satan. They got this all wrong. Dear friends, we're looking in the wrong places a lot of times. And many of us, too many of us, are looking to Washington. We're looking to Washington. And Washington right now is a degraded, degraded government of what our great governments in the past have been. It's filled with junior high socialites. It's filled with junior high squabbles. It's filled with foolish thinking. It's filled with a degraded culture. And America is crumbling, and that is sad, and that is tragic. But, dear friends, America is not the kingdom of God. America is not the kingdom of God. You know, in Rome, if you read the history of Rome, the greatest, one of the greatest kings, if not the greatest kingdom that ever lived on this earth, it lasted so long, was the, Roman, was the Romans. A thousand years, for goodness sakes. And if you read and you study Rome, especially from, from 1 a, uh, A.D. all the way on, for those for 300 years, all you're going to hear about is Augustine, and you're going to hear about war, you're going to hear about dictatorships and wars and civil wars, and you're going to hear about terrible sexual immorality, 
terrible uh, uh, decay of that culture based on, 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 on its, its material uh, wealth, it's terrible oppression. You're going to hear about assassinations, and you're going to hear about literally, literally insane leaders like Nero and others that were literally insane, and they were leaders. You're going to hear about intrigue, and you're going to hear about wealth, and you're going to hear about partying, and you're going to hear about it all being degraded, terrible sexual sins for 300 years. If you study that history, that's all you're going to hear about it. But you're not going to hear the true story of what happened there. Because amongst the slaves, amongst the common people, amongst the ones that are counted as nothing, you don't write history about, the kingdom of God was spreading and spreading and spreading and spreading and spreading and spreading and spreading. And then all of a sudden, at 300 AD, Rome becomes a Christian nation. How'd that happen? It's because the kingdom of God was spreading and spreading. Jesus was taking over. Dear friends, listen. Please, please listen. Stop looking at Washington. Stop looking. Until God raises up godly, wise leaders in that place, that's just going to be a junior high hallway. And that's all it is right now. But look wider. Look farther. Dear friends, look at Africa right now. Africa is probably the most Christian continent in the world that the world has ever known. God is doing an amazing work in Africa, saving multiple whole nations are coming to Christ in Africa. Africa is going to be the leader of the Christian movement in this world in the next century, in this century. Look at Asia and how God is moving and working and saving. Even China. The, the, one of the most powerful nations in the world who is anti-God, opposed to God, secular, and the church is just growing and flourishing even though it's illegal and it's underground and it's a house church. Look at South Korea. South Korea, one of the most godly nations in the world. I met South Korean missionaries. They're sending out more missionaries. South Korea sends out more missionaries than America does. And I met South Korean missionaries in the Dominican Republic. Islam. God is moving and working and saving people. People who have been working in Islam for years are saying, a breeze is blowing through Islam that is powerful. People are actually having dreams of Jesus and are coming to Christ. We have a missionary in, this, in our church right here who, who, who one, of, one of their workers has, has seen the conversion of a head of a mosque in Islam. And now the, 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 the imams above him are asking him about Jesus. God is at work. God is at work. And dear friends, we need to see that and we need to be able to look and see what's happening. But let's bring this closer to home. Let's bring this closer to home. We look at this nation, politically this nation, fighting, arguing, bickering. People look at this and they, they see this as a tragedy. They see a tragic, what's going on in this nation is a tragedy. But I want to urge you to look closer. I want to urge you to look closer to see what's going on. Kids, one day my dad came to me and said, hey, we're going to go fishing tomorrow. And I said, oh, good. Yeah, that's great. Good. Um, but we need bait. Said, okay. Cool. And he said, we're going to go catch some bait now. And he said, it rained all day today. It's a perfect day. Sun went down. He said, we're going to catch bait. And he gave me a flashlight and he gave me a can. And I said, okay, here we go. Where are we going? He said, we're going right out here. And he pointed to the front yard. He said, we're going right out here. I don't know now. All I saw was wet grass and stars. I'm like, where's the bait? And so my dad taught me how to find night crawlers. 
And we would go through that yard with that flashlight, and the, the rain had brought them up, and there were these long night crawlers there. You grab them, put them in your can. You grab them, put them in your can. And you know what? I never knew there were night crawlers out there every night. My dad was teaching me to look closer. Dear friends, I want you to look closer. For, for some people here, you've looked at the chaos and the, the ridiculousness of American political life right now. And what did you do? Well, I'm going to tell you what I'm sharing with you from a pastor's perspective. I've had so many people in this church say to me, I've shut the news off. I don't even want to listen to it. I'm, I'm just going to get my life simpler. I've been praying more, Pastor. I've been reading my Bible. I've been stopped looking at Washington and Harrisburg, and I've been looking around at my neighbors and see what I could do. Dear friends, doesn't that seem like that's King Jesus' plan? He's in control, and he's using it for good. Let's take COVID. I don't want to take COVID lightly. I don't take it lightly. People have suffered. People have died. People in this room have suffered. Not just old people, young people in this room have suffered from COVID. And I'm not taking it lightly. I'm not taking it lightly at all. But you'll remember when COVID began, one of the reflections that we had here was is that God is in charge of this. God is doing this. And God has done a lot in this nation because of COVID. Families have actually spent more time together. Families have slowed down their pace. The number of homeschoolers in America has doubled this year. And even when they can, parents can send their kids back, many parents are saying, I'm not pushing homeschooling. I'm just saying many parents said, no, we actually like this family thing that's been going on here. People have been thinking about death. People have been thinking about eternity. People have been thinking about what is the meaning of life. What is that? Let's look over the general shoulder. This is King Jesus organizing and orchestrating because he wants the kingdom to advance. He wants to bring people into the kingdom. That's what he's doing. And it's not out of control. It's in his control. Think of the moral decay in this culture. And not in this, just this culture. I had a conversation last week with a woman who is Palestinian. And I asked her, I said, in, in Palestine, how are things going? Because here in America, uh, people are concerned about the moral decay. She says, it's all over the world. She said, Palestinian parents are just so upset with what their children are doing, how their children are dressing, how their children are acting, and the influence that their children are getting from the West. It's terrible. Morals are decaying everywhere that I can see all around the world. But you know what? In the midst of that, in the midst of the anger, in the midst of the meanness, in the midst of the perversity, in the midst of this, God is shaking people up. And churches, I'm not, ours isn't the only one, churches are seeing young people coming out of the world and saying, I need some answers. I'm scared of where this thing's going. I need God. And perhaps God is doing a revival in this world. Dear friends, let's stop being so discouraged. Let's stop being so anxious. Let's look what we should be looking at. Could you imagine a private during World War II, a private during World War II peeling his potatoes and thinking, wow, Hitler has all of Europe, most of North Africa, and heading and attacking Russia 
All of that landmass is now under the, under the power of a madman, Hitler. We're losing. We're losing. We're losing. And he's probably sick and tired of peeling these stupid potatoes. And then if he was able to get into the room with Ike Eisenhower, look over his shoulders at the plan of the D-Day invasion, and realize what that was going to be, he would say, oh, my. We're going to win this thing. We're going to win this thing. And you know what he would do? He would go back and he would grab those potatoes and be like crazy. He'd be, what are you doing? We're going to win this thing. We're going to win this thing. Cheer up, guys. Start peeling. Let's feed these guys. They're heading across the canal. We're going to win this thing. And dear friends, I think we as Christians need to capture some of this. We're going to win this thing. Christ is going to reign. Christ is moving. He is working. The kingdom is growing. People are coming to Christ. The media doesn't see it. The elites don't see it. The politicians don't see it. But they've always been clueless. It's always been a common person thing. It's always been amongst the lowest of classes. It's always been that way. But the kingdom is moving. The kingdom is growing. There are estimates that there are 12,000 to 15,000 to 20,000 conversions to Christianity worldwide daily. God is at work. God is at work. And one day the king is going to come. And he is going to take back his kingdom. But right now he's plundering Satan's kingdom. So stop being so anxious. Stop being so discouraged. Stop looking at, at the wrong places. And start looking and seeing and sensing what Christ is doing. Finally, let's do our part to advance this kingdom. What did Jesus tell us to do? Pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Pray, dear friends. Pray, 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 pray with faith. Pray with confidence. God, send your kingdom. In the 1800s, there was, things were getting out of control bad in New York City. Out of control and bad in New York City in the middle 1800s. There were gangs. There was prostitution. There was all kinds of bad things going on in New York City. And you know what some New York City businessmen decided to do? They decided once a week to hold a lunch prayer meeting. And they began to pray. And they began to pray. And they began to pray. And God sent a revival. Dear friends, we need to pray. And then finally, live as a, as a citizen of this kingdom. Go out this week. Wherever you go, you be salt. To salt this kingdom. You be light. Jesus said you are the salt. You are the light. And don't let your saltiness lose its flavor. And don't let your light be doused, doused out. Don't let them cancel you dear friends. You be salt. You be light. And by your life. And by our words. And as we saw last week. By our love. Here's somebody who loves. Loves his enemies. Loves everybody. Loves his political opponents. Loves everybody regardless of race. Regardless of every loves. By your love. By your patience. By your kindness. By your countenance. By your good works. By your beautiful words. Let everything that you are say loud and clear. There's another kingdom on this earth. And it's alive. And it's healthy. And it's moving forward. And it's glorious. It's glorious, and we're a representative of it. Go out and live out the kingdom. Finally, let me say to any unbelievers who are here, you are outside the kingdom. You're outside the kingdom, and you think it's cool out there. You think it's cool out there. You don't want to be one of these stupid Christians. You're, 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 you're cool. You're cool. 
Or, or maybe you're just trying to walk the fence. I'm, I'm going to keep one foot in the kingdom of God and one foot in the world. So I'll be real religious when I'm at church. And then when I'm in school, I'm just going to be just like them all. I'm going to be the cool, hip kid, foul language, doing whatever I do. I'm going to be the cool, the hip kid. Well, Jesus has a word for you. I'm sorry we turned from it, so I'll just read it. Matthew 12, 30. Jesus said, he who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. If you're not 100% for Jesus, you're against him. And dear friends, you're in the kingdom of Satan. There is no middle ground here. You're in the kingdom of God or you're in the kingdom of Satan. And if you're not in the kingdom of God, you're in the kingdom of Satan. You are under his power. He's got you so duped into thinking that you're free and you're liberated, and that's what's going on today. I'm so free and liberated, I can decide what sex I am. He's got them so deceived, so duped. You're in a kingdom. It's the kingdom of heaven, of Satan. And I want to tell you something. It is an ugly kingdom. And it is bringing about hell on earth right now. Look at your kingdom that you're in. Look at the filth of it. Look at the foolishness of it. Look at the despair of it. Look at the death. Look at the depression. Look at the suicide. Look at the drug addiction. Look at the child pornography. Look at the sex trafficking. Look at the hatred. Look at your kingdom. It's an ugly kingdom. It's an ugly kingdom. And you're in the kingdom of Satan. And I want to urge you, you flee while there's still time. In Isaiah 55, verses 6 and 7, God has a word for you. He has a word for you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy upon him. And to our God, for he will abundantly Flee from Satan's kingdom. Come into the kingdom of God. Come to Christ. Come to salvation. Come to the only hope that you have. And it's a great hope. And it's a mighty kingdom. And it's going to win. It's going to win. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, we praise you and we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have come and inaugurated the salvation of the world that you have come and purchased us by your blood, that you have come to reign in our lives as Lord, and that you have brought the kingdom of God upon the earth. And we thank you so much, Lord, that although we were natural-born citizens of the kingdom of Satan, you rescued us, you redeemed us, you, you bound him, and you plundered us out of his kingdom. Thank you. Thank you. And Lord, we pray for our loved ones, our friends, our workmates, our neighbors. We pray for our enemies. We pray for those who hate us. We pray for them because they're, they're bound. They're chained. They're in bondage. Oh, please have mercy upon them. Send revival. Do what you're doing in Africa here, we pray. Do what you're doing in Asia here. Please, we pray. And help us to boldly live, to gently and humbly live, 
as kingdom people even tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And we'll give you praise. In Jesus' name we pray.